Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I am your host, Rick Hughes, and I'd like to invite you for the next few minutes to stay with me. Simply 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, some education, and uh, we do all of this without any type of manipulation. We're not trying to con anybody. We're not trying to get you to give us money. We're not asking you to join anything. This show is about giving you accurate information, information from the Bible, the Word of God, that hopefully will help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you're able to do that, you have the freedom and the privacy, as we say every Sunday morning, to orient and adjust to the plan. You are responsible for your own life, for your own decisions. You can't change anyone but yourself, and so uh, if there's any changes that need to be made, that's between you and God. My job is to get this stuff accurate, not to mislead you, not to play with your emotions, not to try and con you in any way to making some emotional decision that won't last. Uh, but anyhow, the flot line, the flot line, F-L-O-T, is all about learning God's problem-solving devices. There are 10 unique problem-solving devices that we teach on the flot line, and they're not anything new. This is not something that I've developed. These were all taught by my pastor many years ago. They are mainline biblical doctrines, and when you learn these 10 problem-solving devices, if you will use them, if you will deploy them, then you can stop the outside sources of adversity from becoming the inside sources of stress. That's why we always say adversity is inevitable and stress is optional. Adversity is what circumstances do to you, and, uh, well, stress is what you do to yourself. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to live under stress. There is a better way to live. It's called the Christian life. It's using a relaxed mental attitude. It's having the mind of Christ. It's thinking divine viewpoint. All of these things are critical for you as you live in the devil's world because as I told you last week, Satan actually has a contract out on you if you're a believer. Now remember the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I don't mean that Satan's gonna be able to pick you off like a fly on the wall with a flash water, but I do mean he would like to eliminate you if he could. As a matter of fact, he had a contract on Jesus Christ, our Lord. The minute that he was born, you know, Herod heard about this. The wise man showed up, wanted to know where the king of the Jews was, and Herod desired to kill any competition, especially some king of the Jews, because he was, in fact, the king of the Jews, at least he thought. But uh, the Lord's family was able to slip away into Egypt before Herod could execute the baby Jesus. That kind of made him mad, so he went wild and executed all young male infants in town to protect his throne. You can read about that in Matthew 2, 16. But Peter sounds a warning for us as believers in Jesus Christ. He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of a sober spirit and be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We start off with uh, the present, excuse me, the aorist active imperative of the verb nafo. Nafo, the aorist active imperative. You say, why would you tell me all of that? 
Well, this is important because whenever you break down a Greek verb and go into the morphology of the verb, it's critical that you understand this is the imperative mood. This is not a request. This is a mandate. And so God is telling you through the apostle Peter, be sober. He's not asking you. He's telling you. Now, this doesn't refer to not getting drunk with booze. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but this word nafo means to be free from the influence of intoxicants. And it's used as a metaphor for being alert, not oblivious to the circumstances that you find yourself in as a Christian. Now, you've got to remember the greatest intoxicant known to man are our own emotions. We let our emotions carry us away sometimes and get us into places that we don't belong. And uh, if you are emotionally intoxicated, then sometimes you're oblivious to the danger that you face. One of the worst types of emotional intoxication, in my humble opinion, is religious intoxication that involves emotional stimulation. And uh, if you go to church and you are emotionally stimulated with the light show and the sound show and whatever show is going on, some side show, if you're not thinking, you're not learning. And church is where you go to learn, not get stimulated. The Word of God taught from the pulpit under the authority of a well-qualified pastor is why you go to church to start with. The Bible says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing. I remember one pastor telling me, he said, my people like to sing, so they, they want to sing for an hour. He said, but that's okay, because I teach for an hour. And they don't like that. <laughs> you know, people don't want to hear the teaching of the Word of God. They want to be entertained. And that's where emotions are dangerous, because if you think that the Christian life operates on emotions, then you're going to be sadly mistaken, because it doesn't. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. The Bible says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, not let these emotions be in you. I mean, if our Lord had got emotional on the cross, he would have zapped the world. He would have destroyed everybody. There's a song that says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he died alone for you and me. He did not get emotional. He fulfilled the plan of God. We cannot allow religious intoxication to override our thinking because then we become susceptible to the devices and the deception of the enemy, a.k.a. the devil. The only reason you're still here in your life, and I may say this plainly, is not for you to go lion hunting. That's the devil. Don't stay. You're not here to straighten the devil out, I assure you. But you are here to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's why you have two commissions when you got saved. You were given the commission of a royal priest, and you were given the commission of a royal ambassador. As a royal priest, you're able to go before the throne of God and represent yourself by means of the filling of the Holy Spirit and by means of your intercessor, Christ, who makes intercession for you daily. And as a royal ambassador, you are God's representative to this dying world. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and your instructions are all written down. All the policy you're to live by, all the problem solving you're to face, all the instructions, it's in the scripture. So don't ignore the instructions. If you ignore the instructions, 
then you are susceptible to deception. And Satan is a master deceiver. He will get you doing stuff and you think it's for God. You think it's right because it feels right, because your emotions are stimulated when you do it and you look and say, well, look at the good we're doing. And sometimes that's true, sometimes there is good. But remember, there are two different types of good. There's divine good that's produced under the filling of the Holy Spirit, and there's human good that's produced in the energy of the flesh, and it is all human good that's burned up at the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Human good is not rewardable, only divine good. And what's the difference? Divine good is the right thing done in a right way. Human good is a right thing, but it's done in the wrong way. And so a right thing in the right way, God rewards you. A right thing in the wrong way, God burns it up. It's called wood, hay, and stubble. Let me break it down a little bit closer. As a Christian, you decide you want to take a mission trip and you want to go to a foreign country. And so you go to serve the Lord or serve Jesus, as you say. I would like to say you go to serve your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I would like to give him the respect he deserves. And so you go, but you don't understand the filling of the Holy Spirit. You do this in the energy of the flesh. You have unconfessed sin in your life. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. You did a right thing. You did a good thing, but it's not rewardable because you did it in the wrong way. That's how easy it is to be deceived by Satan, by letting your emotions dictate policy and thinking that you're doing a good thing. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ as though God were making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of Christ, re-reconcile to God. That's our job. That's your job. My job is to make sure that our friends have enough information so that they can be reconciled to God. How did that happen? Well, on the cross, Jesus Christ, his anointed son, died for our sin. His substitutionary death atoned the grace of God. It atoned God. It satisfied God. He redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. Every Old Testament sacrifice, every Old Testament animal that was slain was all a picture of this event that was to come. And when the Lamb of God went to the cross, laid down his life, and suffered and died, bled for us, he redeemed us. He bought us. He purchased us out of the slave market of sin. Now, that doesn't mean the devil's happy. That doesn't mean he's jumping up and down saying, oh, goody, goody, now all these people have been redeemed. You're not forgiven until you believe in Jesus Christ, receive him as your Savior. Yes, your sins were judged on the cross, and yes, every sin you ever did was poured out on him. But in order to receive forgiveness, you must receive him. You must receive Christ. How do you do that? It's simple. The Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. At any moment of time in your life, you can simply bow your head. Don't do it while you're driving now, but you can bow your head and you can tell God the Father that you would like to receive Christ as your Savior. You can tell him that you believe Jesus died for your sins and you are willing to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That act of submission, that act of asking God, that is it. That's what it takes. 
You don't necessarily have to walk down an aisle, although some people do that. You don't have to raise your hand. Some people do that. All you have to do is what the Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's our vocation, each one of us. We are to represent Jesus Christ as his royal ambassadors since you and I, we're all in full-time Christian service and we are his personal representatives. So Peter warns us, be sober and be vigilant. Here's another imperative mood in the Greek New Testament. Be vigilant. Gregoreo, be vigilant. That means to be very careful, to pay strict attention to, to be very cautious. Why? Well, because the deceptive abilities of, the Satan, of Satan can lure the best of us. I mean, did he not lure Eve and deceive her in perfect environment in the garden? How could anyone sin in perfect environment? I mean, isn't that what people want today? They want a utopia. They want perfect environment, and they think things would be all right. <clears throat> Even in the garden, things weren't all right. <clears throat> Excuse me, and there was perfect environment there. So <clears throat> perfect environment is not the solution. I want you to understand something. Satan has massive camouflage abilities. I like to hunt sometimes, and I like to wear those camouflage clothes, those mossy oak or whatever you may buy that make you look like a tree when you're out in the woods. He has camouflage abilities, and he can blend into the natural surroundings around you, and you would never even know he was there because he looks natural and he sounds natural, but he's deceptive, and he's deceptive in the area of religion. That's his ace trump in the hole. This is where he works. Many people will say to me in that day, Jesus Christ our Lord said, they will say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and did I not do that? Did I not do many wonderful works in your name? And he said, I'll tell them I never knew you. You were deceived. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift from God. And the Bible says, for by grace, are you saved through faith? It's a gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast about it. The most wonderful thing in the history of my entire life was the night I knelt in a house. I don't remember where it was, but, but I prayed and I asked God to save me. That's the most wonderful night in my life. I didn't feel it. I mean, nothing happened. I didn't feel any jolt of energy go through me. But I prayed sincerely for God to save me, and I told him that I was willing to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, and it happened. It took me a while to come to realize all the ramifications of what I'd done, but once I realized it, I had the confidence and the assurance that God did his part. I did my part. God did his part. God did his part in eternity past in judging his own son for my sin, and I did my part in receiving the forgiveness that he offered to me through Jesus Christ. So we are to be vigilant for this deceitful, deceptive, camouflaged individual called the devil because the Bible says be vigilant because your adversary, your adversary the devil, your adversary, antidikos, 
the one who stands against what is right is the Greek word, the one who stands against what is right, your adversary, the diabolos, the false accuser, the devil, that word diabolos is used 34 times as a title for the devil in the Bible. He is, according to the Vine's word study of the New Testament, the malignant enemy of God and man. He goes on, Vines goes on to say he accuses man to God, Job 1, 6 through 11, and he accuses God to man, Genesis 3. See, he accused God of being deceptive with Eve and not letting her know the real truth and deceived her into eating the forbidden fruit. So he is an adversary. Uh, he is the devil, and he's compared to a roaring lion. Oruomai, a roaring lion, a leon, L-E-O-N. Oruomai leon. This is a large male lion, and uh, he roars. A lion roar. I've never heard one, but I've heard stories. I've seen tales. I've seen studies. Uh, they roar to demonstrate their dominance over their territory and over their pride of female lionesses that they have. And it is said that that roar can be heard up to five miles away. Can you imagine that? That roar can be heard up to five miles away. And so keep this in mind. One, the devil is the origin of murder. He wants to have you murdered. He wants to have you eliminated by death or defeat so that you are disqualified as a witness in the angelic conflict. And point two, many times we actually assist him in our own demise due to our own arrogance and our own lack of humility in our lives. That is, we get into sin, we fail to confess our sin, we get under discipline from God, we react to the discipline, get mad, get hostile. We don't respond to the discipline and admit the sin. And we actually wind up under the sin unto death, as 1 Corinthians 5 talks about. It is a sin unto death. 1 John 5 also talks about it. And this is the believer who gets out of fellowship with God. He goes through warning discipline. He goes through intense discipline. And now he's going to go into dying discipline. God's going to remove him. Is he going to heaven? Yes, he's accepted Christ as his Savior. But he's removed from this planet because of his inconsistent testimony for Jesus Christ. Because he is a wash in sin. He's a wash out. He's not available for God to use. So God just brings him home. That happens every day to many people. No one talks about it. No one says that person died to sin unto death, but if you'll think about it, if you know some Christians that got out of the church, got out of fellowship with God, went off down the my way highway and ignored God, you can see discipline in their life and what may could have happened. Self-destruction is possible. It, it comes through arrogance. Sometimes the arrogance is blind, and uh, it actually makes the job of the devil very easy because you know what he does? He just sits back and waits on you to take your own self out of the equation. That's all he's got to do. He just sits back and waits. Because you have the world and you have the flesh, and they're both opposing you. And, of course, you have the devil. But why would the devil fool with you if you can't get past the lure of the world and you can't get past the lust of the flesh? 
Why would he fool with you? He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. Uh, First of all, he can't be in more than one place at a time because he's a created being. He's not eminent and transcendent like God the Father is. So if he can only be in one place at one time, why would he be knocking on your door? Are you that powerful that you have world influence? I think if he knocks on anybody's door, it's the person who has influence over the events that take place in the devil's world not in your life because you can't get past the lure of the world. You can't get past the lust of the flesh. So he just sits back and waits on you to take your own self out of the equation. The next principle I want to give you is that his influence on the world's ideals, his influence on the philosophies of the world, they're taught by false religions that promote what we call human viewpoint. For example, socialism is a false religion. There's no such thing as a utopia as promoted by Sir Thomas More, where he foresaw political and social perfection. Why? Because there's an old sin nature. People have an old sin nature, and no one can eliminate that. The only time that old sin nature is eliminated is when you and I die and we get a new body, a resurrection body, and it's not infected with Adam's original sin. So Jesus said these words in John 8:44. The Lord said, "You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do." He's speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. He went on to say, "Satan was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him." And he was talking about the way they wanted to kill the Lord themselves. And so the verse says he goes around like a roaring lion, walking around, treading around. What's the lion looking for when he walks around? He's looking for a meal. He's looking for a meal. And if he can find a weak animal, if he can herd out a weak zebra out of the pride of zebras, or if he can herd out a weak gazelle, or if he can herd out something weak and chase it and run it down and kill it, he will eat it. That's what he does. He's looking for a meal. And if he can turn you into a meal, number one, it means you're weak. You've been left behind. The, the, the herd has moved on and left you because you can't keep up. And there you are isolated and, and you're enjoying things. Your emotions are kicking in and you're looking around saying, whoa, what a beautiful sunset. Oh, what a beautiful day. Things are so nice. And you don't even know that you're about to be turned into a pile of lion poop. I mean, excuse me for being so rude, but if a lion eats something, he turns it into poop. And there's nothing worse than seeing a Christian turned into a pile of lion poop. Would you say that's pretty sickening? He wants to devour you. It means eat you or swallow you. The key to understanding this satanic assault is found in 1 Peter 5, 6 and in 1 Peter 5, 9. Here's our defense. In 2 Peter, excuse me, not 1 Peter, but 2 Peter, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter 5, 6, the Bible says, humble yourselves, the active imperative of tapainoo, humble yourselves, 1 Peter 5, 6, 
Technically speaking, get rid of your arrogant preoccupation with yourself. You see, when you're arrogantly preoccupied with yourself in a frantic search for happiness, this leaves the door open for Satan's intrusion, and he will fuel your lust patterns. But if you will submit to God's word, as you're instructed to do, then you may be able to overcome those temptations. But however, unfortunately, Proverbs 1.7 says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. I've seen a few of those. They're not willing to listen to anybody because they think they got it all figured out. Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. Not only is this the safe and sensible thing to do, says Randolph Yeager in his Renaissance New Testament book, but it's the best thing to do because no man is free. Yeager says we're either helplessly exploited by Satan or privileged to submit to God. So which one do you want? Since God's hand is the hand of omnipotence, all power, then submission to him might be a wise move because he's your loving heavenly father and his desire is nothing but short of the best for you. And so the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So in 1 Peter 5, 9, again, you're told to resist the devil, another imperative mood of antihistamine, to stand against the devil to stand steadfast, resist steadfastly, hard, stiff, and we have a firm foundation to resist him. How? And here's the prepositional phrase, in the faith, using the faith rest drill. If you're going to avoid being eliminated, you must see yourself as you are or you will be deceived and manipulated and defeated and neutralized. And there's nothing worse than a neutered Christian who's unable to reproduce. Any hatred, any animosity, any bitterness, anything like that you harbor towards another person, that arrogance will neuter you. It'll make you unusable. Your circumstances are to serve the master who bought you, not to give in to some sort of hatred, jealousy, implacability. So you are to resist him in the faith, and that's Ephesians 6.11. Pick up the shield of faith. Put on the armor of God. His objective is to neutralize you, to eliminate you as the opposition. And the faith rest drill lets you eliminate the fear factor. Using faith in the promises of God's word says that you are in no way alarmed by your opponent. That's Philippians 1, 28 and 29. Because greater is he that's in you that's he that's in the world. Think about it. Contemplate on these things. I hope that you've learned something. So until next week, I am Rick Hughes, host of The Flotline, inviting you to come back and join me again, same time, same place, always asking for your prayers, and we pray that this has been a challenge for you. Thank you for listening to The Flotline. Thank you for listening to The Flotline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.